Welcome to All Are Welcome, an Evergreen Christian Church podcast. Today, we have a sermon for you. Please join us in listening. Our scripture reading for today comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Christians have the unenviable task of knowing and relating to God. It brings my life such joy to worship and praise God, and it's my life's calling to shepherd God's people, to care for God's flock, to teach and preach. And I've rooted my life in the understanding of God's holy word in the direction in which the Holy Spirit is spurring us forward. And I know I draw strength knowing the Lord shelters me and keeps me, and I can be courageous knowing that God's got me, and I know I'm not the only one that draws relief and restitution from the boon of our Lord. The reason why I call it unenviable is because knowing and trusting God is complicated, as the nature of God is complicated. I watched a video, it was a cartoon, St. Patrick, speaking to two Irish peasants, and St. Patrick is trying to explain the Holy Trinity to them. And so St. Patrick uses some analogies to try to explain to the peasants. He says that the Holy Trinity is like water. Water can be found as steam, or as a liquid, or as ice, a solid. But it's all water just has different properties. And then the two peasants respond that saying the Holy Trinity is like water is a heresy. It's mortalism. The Holy Trinity is three distinct persons. So to analogize the Holy Trinity as water in different forms is to say that the Holy Trinity is different forms of God, but we know the Holy Trinity to be the three distinct persons of God. And so St. Patrick then says that the Holy Trinity is like the sun. You see the sun, you feel its heat, and you know and see the light it produces. So the Irish peasants respond again that that is a heresy, and that's called Arianism. It's saying that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Creator, and not one in nature with the Creator. Much like how the sun produces heat and light, but heat and light are not the sun. Whereas we believe the Holy Spirit, Jesus the Christ, and God the Creator are all one. Not created. Which leads St. Patrick to say 
The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity, in Trinity and unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. This is to say that it's complicated. Our analogies inevitably fall short. Our understanding never fully grasps God. We try with human reason and human understanding, but we fall short. But that's also part of the wonder and the majesty. To have a God who is infinitely unknowable and yet intimately connected and known to us from the least to the greatest. A God who is unseen, yet we see God's touch in all of creation. A God who is unchanging, ever-present, and yet a God who renews and changes the covenant. A God who is persuaded to change her mind by her people. An ever-changing God who draws nearer to us in love. A constant God who is always the same. Our God is so vast, so mighty, so great that the words we use to explain and describe the characteristics of him are seemingly paradoxes. This passage from Jeremiah, to me, is an illustration of God both being steadfast rock on which we build our foundation and being like water, taking form and traveling to the places where God needs to be. God made covenant with Israel, led the people out of Egypt, delivered them, freed them, but then the people broke their covenant. And throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we hear that God is angry or wrathful, and eventually God does turn his face away from the Israelites. Yet God promises restoration of the covenant, a promise to keep being God for them to know the Israelites as her people. A promise that all from the lowest to the greatest will know that God is God. Christians read this passage and understand this new covenant to be facilitated and filled through Jesus Christ. The law has been written on our hearts and we belong now to a body of believers. We are now adopted into that people. God's love and mercy stays the same, yet the way in which the covenant between God and God's people is realized changes. God is the steady rock on which all of our lives rest, but God is like the soothing waters of a river that changes and bends with the world. God, whose covenant changes, but love never changes. God who is timeless, yet timely. The more things change, the more they stay the same. A week or so ago, a sportscaster doing an Oklahoma women's high school basketball game was caught on a hot mic, meaning uh, the mic was live and he didn't know it. During the national anthem, one of the teams took a knee while the other team stood. 
the caster, during the anthem, took note of the team kneeling and started saying things like, I hope the other team beats them out of them. And eventually, the sportscaster called this high school women's basketball team a bunch of effing N-words. In a press release, he waffled between saying that it was unacceptable to say that he's a family man, he was once a youth pastor, which concerns me, that he didn't know his mic was live. And finally, he ended up with, he has type 1 diabetes and his blood sugar was low. I know diabetics, there are diabetics in my family, and they don't say racist garbage when their blood sugar levels get low. And unfortunately, I woke up on Wednesday, March 17th, to the horrific news that there was a mass shooting in Atlanta, a shooting of massage parlors, a shooting which killed, as far as I know right now, eight people, six of which are Asian women. The shooter said that he needed to terminate his temptation because he had a sex addiction. Victims of the shooting say that he wanted to kill all Asian women. When asked about the motivation, the Atlanta Police Department almost made an excuse, almost ran PR for this guy, saying the shooter had, quote, a bad day. I have the opportunity to say what the Atlanta Police Department failed to say. This shooting was a hate crime. It was a continuation of a pattern of hate crimes against Asian Americans that has been spiking since the coronavirus began. It was misogyny acted out in its most violent form. It was toxic masculinity. It was the demons of racism, sexism, and dehumanization tangled together. This is the result of a toxic masculinity that says men can't control their sexual desires and violent urges, and thus the women who tempt them must be punished. This is the result of the denigration and fetishization of Asian women as nothing more than sex objects. This is the result of the devaluation of women in their lives as nothing other than being in service of men. And this is the result of white supremacy, which places whiteness above all other things. This is the result of our demonization of sex workers as subhuman. This is the result of jokes which insist that Asians working in massage parlors are offering happy endings. The shooting is anti-Asian, it's misogyny, it's racist, and it's sin, period. It's not the result of a bad day. The fact that it was St. Patrick's Day when I heard about this made me think of the saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The first Irish immigrants to this country were dehumanized, looked down upon, and discriminated against. They were seen as drunken layabouts that were drains on society that couldn't hold jobs. And historical research shows that for a period of time, Irish folks weren't even considered white. They lived in segregated neighborhoods, much like early Italian immigrants. And throughout history, as immigrants from non-European countries and black folks gained some form of economic mobility and whiteness felt threatened, 
the Irish started assimilating to and ended up allying themselves with whiteness. They would make pacts with groups which previously excluded them to not sell their homes to black families, for instance. Belonging to whiteness meant security, and it meant that the blame for leeches on society shifted towards African Americans and Latinos and Latinas. It's a reminder that white supremacy has always been present, but how it manifested and who it was included in whiteness has changed. White supremacy would disguise itself in many different ways throughout history, and sometimes, like with the resurgence of hate groups like the KKK or other neo-Nazis, it doesn't even try to disguise itself at all. And misogyny has always existed, restricting votes to only land-owning males, pushing against allowing women the right to vote, to preach, to hold office, to lead. And this past year, we have seen Asian Americans spit on and called a virus. And we had a president that called the coronavirus the Kung Flu or the China virus, a racialized rhetoric which ultimately blamed and shamed Asian Americans through association. White supremacy has changed, but it's still here. Recently, white supremacy has tried to disguise itself as an outburst because of low blood sugar or shooting up massage parlors because the shooter had a bad day. It's the same old sin dressed up in disgusting new clothes. It's racism. It's white supremacy, it's misogyny, it's anti-Asian, it's toxic masculinity, it is sin. This is why we need our God, who is constant yet ever-changing. This is why we need our God, who loves without fail, who extends grace without condition, but the forms and ways in which we know God's grace, mercy, and love is constantly meeting us where we are and where we need it. Because the enemies we have are constant yet ever-changing. The web of evils that is white supremacy and misogyny and toxic masculinity takes different forms, but the threat it poses to God's children is ever-present. We need a complex, complicated, timeless, yet timely God who can hold our hurting hearts and also strengthen our resolve. We have a God who is bigger, stronger, and better than these evils of the world. And we need to be bigger, stronger, and better than these evils of this world. Our task of knowing and relating to God becomes a bit clearer through Jesus Christ. The man who ate with sinners and tax collectors, who healed lepers and loved the least of these who died upon the cross out of love for us. Jesus, whose genealogy includes Tamar and Rahab, two sex workers, becomes clear that knowing God means knowing God's preferential option for the poor, the needy, the suffering, the hurt, the marginalized. Knowing God's love and mercy are constant for the ways and forms it takes constantly change. In this moment, it means listening and holding the hurt 
and the suffering of Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. In this moment, it means listening and holding the anxiety and fear women hold about the violence of men who do not take no for an answer. In this moment, it means understanding the ways in which we dehumanize and implicitly accept violence against sex workers. It means listening, holding, understanding, and doing something about it. I know that with our timeless yet timely God, with our God who is constant but ever-changing, we can face the constant but ever-changing evils of this world. Amen.